Throughout the Advent season, the season leading up to Christmas, uh, we've been reading the prophecies uh, out of Isaiah. What, what did Isaiah say about this one who was to come? And today we kind of read our final one. It's from Isaiah 64. Matthias is going to come and read it for us. Matthias, if you would. Isaiah, Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and all our unrighteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are still the work of your, we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. All right, at this point in the service, I'm going to ask our ushers. Uh, they're going to be handing out little gift bags. Uh, so to all the children or to anyone who needs a gift bag to get through the service, uh, you can just wave at them. Uh, Ed and Jim will be wandering around. And so you, there's one, there should be plenty, uh, enough for kids. Yeah, get, you can wave your hands uh, while they are doing that, while they're providing those things. Uh, we're going to invite Carla back up. Uh, you were just here. Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2. Uh, you may recognize it. It's one of those classic Christmas texts. We've been working through the first part of Luke uh, this Advent, this Christmas season. So if you follow along as Carla reads, and then I'll be back. Luke 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them 
and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right, we're going to spend some time reflecting on this text together. Thank you, Carla, for reading it. Uh, at the beginning of the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you've read that book, there's these three ordinary children, and they're in a, there's a small upstairs bedroom. There's two children, Edmund and Lucy, who are brother and sister. They're staying with their relatives, and they're staying particularly with their annoying cousin, uh, Eustace. And in Lucy's bedroom, on the wall of Lucy's bedroom, uh, there's this picture, a painting, of a beautiful sailing ship out on the water on a crisp summer's day. You know, the sails are full, the white caps are foaming, the sun is out. And day after day, uh, Edmund and Lucy in particular, but Eustace as well, they go in and they, they stare at this beautiful painting. But then if you know the book, one day something different happens. As they stare at this painting, the waves start to move. The sails start to ripple, water splashes into the room, and then all of a sudden the three children are magically sucked into the painting. Because the painting is not merely a painting, it's an event taking place in Narnia. The, the Dawn Treader, this ship, is, uh, is sailing. And that's where the book kicks off. It's ordinary people, ordinary children, sucked into an extraordinary, and mine might even call magical story. This is something akin to what is happening to the shepherds on the night Jesus was born. They are going about their ordinary lives. It's a night the same as all the other nights that have come before. Sheep, fields, maybe a campfire, we don't really know. But ordinary men doing ordinary work. And then all of a sudden, magic. Now, not magic in like the wizards and witches and casting spells sense, but magic in the something not normally possible is happening. And then these ordinary men, these shepherds, are swept up into the most extraordinary story the world has ever seen. And I want to think about Christmas, I want to talk about Christmas through the lens of these shepherds. And I got four parts to today's message. It'll kind of mirror the four stages that these shepherds go through. So we'll talk about the fear, the message, with haste, and then the return. 
Now, because we're focusing primarily on the shepherds, you'll note that verses 1 through 7 kind of function as kind of context for us. But I want to briefly cover just a couple things in these verses before we get on to the shepherds. Luke, uh, the author here, records for us, Caesar Augustus, that's like the Roman Caesar, has sent out a decree for a census to be taken. Now, the reason Caesar would have done this is not for fun, like, oh, how many people live in the empire, but for taxation. He wants to know how much money can I get, um, and a later census will, will send the Jews into a, a small riot, uh, but he wants to know how much tax can I extract from all the different regions of my empire. And that edict is handed down into the various Roman provinces until it reaches this guy Quirinius. He's the governor of Syria, it says, the, the, whole, the whole area. So Joseph has to go to Bethlehem. Luke notes Joseph went up to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is south of Nazareth where he was living, but Bethlehem is elevated. Uh, one doesn't walk down to Bethlehem. One normally walks up to Bethlehem. Now Mary presumably doesn't need to go, but goes with Joseph because she's very pregnant. Now the journey to Bethlehem, uh, no donkey is mentioned. You know, donkey is very popular in nativity, you know, scenes, children books and stuff like that. Uh, but Mary and Joseph were quite poor and it's about 110 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so you're covering that maybe in four to five days if you're in good health, but all of you women who've been pregnant and nine months pregnant, you know, you're probably not walking that 100K plus in four to five days. It would have been no easy task. They can't find anywhere to stay. They end up in this inn, not a holiday inn. We're not sure exactly what kind of lodging it was, likely a place where animals normally stayed, hence the presence of the manger. But without very much lead up, Luke simply tells us it was time for the birth. Maybe all that walking, all that traveling helped stimulate labor. We don't know. But we do know the prophet Micah had said hundreds of years before the Messiah would come from the city of David. He'd come from Bethlehem. And so even though Luke is mentioning all these human factors, an emperor's decree, a betrothed husband's ancestry, nine months of pregnancy, what we recognize is God is arranging history so the prophecies are fulfilled. And then again, very bluntly, Luke says, Mary gives birth, she wraps the baby in strips of cloth, lays him in a manger. Those details will become important for the shepherds. But that's the context, and if you will, going back to our Narnia, that is the picture hanging on the wall of the bedroom. A man and a woman in some sort of barn, mudroom, unfinished basement, something like this, uh, with their new baby, he's wrapped up, he's lying in the feeding trough, and that is when the shepherds get sucked into the picture. So part one, the fear. Look at verse eight. The shepherds are in the field, they're at night watching over their flock, typical night, typical shepherds. And Luke says, in his unassuming way, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, an angel appearing is as miraculous and it's as astonishing as children getting sucked into a picture that's actually a different world. It, it demands multiple levels of belief, and particularly if you're a visitor today, you're not normally a church person, you realize that this challenges most of us who are, are modern people. You have to accept that angels exist. That there are these spiritual beings that we cannot see or interact with except on these rare occasions. So angels exist and that an angel of God himself, this messenger, would appear to talk to the shepherds. Now if you look down in verse 15, something even a bit more astonishing, the, the shepherds recognize the angel's words represent the word of God. God is speaking to them through this angel. So it's not an angel gone rogue, not an angel tricking them, but a messenger from God. Where you realize this is a lot to accept. It's a miracle, no denying it. Now, this is actually the third angelic appearance in the Gospel of Luke. 
And do you know what's happened every single time someone has met an angel so far? They were terrified. In Luke 1.12, this guy Zechariah, he sees an angel, and it says he's troubled, and fear falls upon him. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about Mary. Uh, Gabriel appeared to Mary. She was greatly troubled and afraid. And now in verse 9, an angel appears to them. The glory of the Lord shines around these shepherds. And what happens? Luke says, and actually in Greek, it's even a little bit different. Literally in Greek, he says, they feared with a great fear. Uh, they had mega phobos. They had, they had large amounts of fear. Now, why? Because angels are both terrifying in appearance normally, but also terrifying for what they represent. You know, angels appear in many different ways. Revelation, if you read that book, it talks about angels with six wings and eyes all over them and stuff like that. The Apostle John is so overwhelmed when he meets an angel, he tries to worship it. Um, we don't know what this angel looked like. But we can expect its very appearance was so frightening and, and startling because everyone who sees one, they're afraid of it. But we also might assume that people are afraid because the appearance of an angel is the breaking into your world or breaking into your life of a world you don't control. Oh, there's this spiritual being. There's these spiritual forces that are beyond me. There is a God. There are angels. And for a moment, these people, these shepherds, just feel, I imagine, their own smallness, their own weakness. So they feared with a great fear. What are you afraid of? Not in the snakes and spiders and dark basements sort of way. What, what legitimately terrifies you? What, what keeps you awake at night? What, if it happened in your life, would, would feel like a nightmare? What's out of control? If you can articulate that, if you can put your finger and say, yes, if this happened or if that happened, if you can articulate it, you've begun to enter into the story with the shepherds. You've tasted the world the Savior is coming into. You've, you've learned you're being swept up into something you can't control. The shepherds feared with a great fear. Let's, let's talk about part two, the message. The angel speaks. And what's the first thing the angel says? sort of famous in the Christmas story, fear not. Now remember, this angel is a messenger from God, so what the angel is saying is what God wants to say. And so to a world of anxiety, to a world full of people who have control issues, to a world full of terrifying nightmares, God says, you don't have to be afraid. Fear not. Now, let's pause on that for a second. Psychologically speaking, that doesn't seem like a very helpful thing to say. Uh, if, you, if you've been a parent or if you've watched children, you've realized that simply telling a child, you don't have to be afraid of the dark room, doesn't normally help. It's like, you can say that, it doesn't change the fact that they're scared of it. So telling someone, don't be afraid, doesn't always help those who are afraid. But what do you do for a child that's afraid? Well, you try to comfort them. You try to assure them, I'm nearby. Uh, the, the front door is locked. I, I'll put the hall light on, you know, whatever it is. You offer them comfort for their fear. And sure enough, the angel doesn't just say, hey, stop being afraid. The angel says, you don't have to be afraid because I've arrived with good news of great joy. Now, once again, English does not do the Greek text justice. There's a very, very nice contrast being drawn. Remember, the, the shepherds feared with a very great fear. In Greek, they had mega phobos. And the angel, to counter their fear, says he brings good news of mega charis, mega joy. If you have great fear, what do you need? You need similarly sized joy. 
<laughs> you need similarly sized good news. Bite-sized good news is not enough if you have a lot of fear, but helpfully, the angel says, I've arrived with jumbo-sized, you know, family-sized good news. You know, Christmas, not supposed to be mildly delightful, not supposed to be 5% better than all the other days. The coming of Christ is actually a magnificent day. It's a day when we feast and, and we celebrate. See, maybe think of it this way. If you can gather up in your heart all the rotten news of the world, if, if you can wrap your arms around all the anger and, and hate and injustice and family conflict and nation conflict, and if you can pile on top of that any of your personal aches and pains and sorrows and disappointments then what the angel is telling you, telling us, telling the shepherds, is there is enough joy, there's enough good news in the manger to swallow up all of the bad stuff. There, there, there's, there's enough there. You don't have to be afraid. There is mega good news, and it's for everyone. There's no end to the table. You're not going to run out of seats. There's room for anyone who wants to come and taste this good news. What exactly is the news? A baby has been born. Verse 11, the angel in quick succession says four things about this baby. Let's cover them quickly. First, he is born unto you. That's a strange thing to say about a baby. Normally, babies are just born. They're not born unto anything. Uh, they aren't born for any other reason than being a human being. Imagine after church today, you drop by a neighbor's house. They recently had a baby. You're going to pop in with, you know, a meal or something, say hi. And you go up to the door and you knock and the, the in-laws answer the door, the mother-in-law or something. And uh, they say, oh yeah, the baby was born. He was born for the street. Like, what, what are you talking about? Why, what do you mean the baby is born for the street? But Jesus was not simply born because he was born. The angel says he was born unto us. He was born for us. There was a purpose to his life that existed from the very start. He wasn't coming for himself. He was coming for humanity. This is not a, ooh, let's see what it feels like experiment for God. He was born unto us. Second, he's a savior. What exactly will his posture be? What exactly will his action be towards humanity? He's going to come and deliver salvation. He's coming as a rescuer from sin. He's going to save a people. Now, did you know, fun fact, the word savior, the angel uses for Jesus, actually used quite a bit in Greek and Roman culture. They'd use this word for doctors. Do any of you doctors in here? They were sometimes called saviors. Rulers, I don't know if we have any rulers here, perhaps. Philosophers were sometimes called saviors. And they were called saviors because they saved people from certain kinds of fate. You know, illnesses, uh, philo philosophical mistakes, I don't know, you know, bad decisions. They were all sort of small s saviors. But the angel says, oh no, Jesus is going to be one of the capital S saviors. You're going to save people from Satan, sin and death, the far more potent enemies, not just broken bones and, and, and sort of philosophical mistakes. Third, he is Christ. We often think of this word Christ as Jesus' last name, as in Jesus Christ, like Ben Jolliffe, Jesus Christ. But it's not actually a name, it's a title. Jesus the Christ is probably an easier way to think about it because it means anointed one. It means Messiah. It means Jesus is fulfilling a particular office, a particular role in the world. He is the one whom all the promises were about. And fourth, he's the Lord. And that just means master, owner, the one who can give orders, commands that can be obeyed. So my question for us to consider is this. 
How is a baby who is born unto us a Savior Christ the Lord? How is that good news? How is it exceedingly good news? Well, before Jesus came, humanity was in deep trouble. We weren't in right relationship with God. We weren't in right relationship to each other. Our society struggles with sin inside of ourselves. We were all kind of ordered incorrectly. We loved wrong things too much. We loved good things too little. We needed a savior for our sins, but we needed a Lord to rule over us. We needed the whole world to be set straight. We couldn't even go begging to God for help. We didn't have enough spiritual power for that. We needed to be healed and led and fixed in a multitude of areas. And that's what Jesus Christ, in all his fullness, that's what he's coming to do. Forgive our sins, yes, but make the whole world new. This message changed everything for the shepherds, and indeed it changes everything for us. I wonder if you've heard it before, if anyone has actually invited you to believe it, that unto you a child is born, and he is a Savior, Christ the Lord, this news is re-announced to all of us this morning in hopes that we will all come to believe it. Part three, with haste. So the shepherds in their field with their flocks, ordinary night, ordinary men, they're sucked into this extraordinary story by the appearance of the angel, the message of the angel, and then a whole multitude, a whole army of angels come out singing. And then what happens next? Well, they want to join the story. Verse 15, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So as a Christian church, we believe what was written here really happened. <laughs> Jesus was born in this way, uh, as it says. But we, you might also say, particularly if you're of, of a more skeptical bent, well, there are lots of things that have happened historically. Why is this different from any other? For instance, there was a recent news story, I think it was originally a tweet, but there's this recent news story about how adult men, how often adult men think about the Roman Empire. Maybe, maybe you've heard about this. You can ask the adult male in your life how often he thinks about the Roman Empire. Because the Roman Empire, it, it happened, like historically, it, it was a thing. Caesar Augustus, you know, really existed. He fought some battles and so on. And even if some of us think about Caesar quite regularly, we still file those events in a different category than the birth of Jesus because for most of history, we are observers. We look back and we observe, we maybe think about it, but the birth of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, we are invited to participate. We're invited to come and see for ourselves Christianity is not a set of ideas, but it's something we enter into. The shepherds aren't just sort of storing up the information about a savior, Christ the Lord, born for them, city of David. They went and saw. How did they go? In verse 16, they went with haste. There's an urgency to their going. If the news was true, if he really was born, then everything was different. If, this was, if there was a savior, the world would never be the same. To what do you go toward with haste? Your bed at night? Christmas dinner? Kids, the presents under the trees. What do you go hastily, with urgency, with eagerness toward? None of those things I mentioned are wrong. But Christmas is intended to bring spiritual urgency to your soul. And if this morning, if you've never sought out Jesus, if you haven't stood by the manger to see, if, is the prophecy true, then I would simply urge you not to delay. There are lots of things you can do on Christmas Eve. None more important than discerning if the Savior has been born. 
And if you are a Christian a long while, if while we read the words of this text, if you were reciting them from heart, what about you? What should you do? Well, I think what you could do is ask God for a renewal of the urgency that probably at one point you felt that you were gripped with, a restoration of the eagerness with which you sought out Christ the first time. We would all, that, that we would all become serious, joyful, persistent, eager followers of Jesus. Okay, part four, the return. So the shepherds find Joseph and Mary and the baby, just as they were told. In verse 17, they tell Joseph and Mary about what happened with the angel, which leads to wonder, awe, amazement on behalf of Joseph and Mary. There's a question in verse 18 about whether others were there or if the shepherds were speaking to people you know, along the way while they were looking for the manger. Uh, Luke is not clear. Mary treasures up all these things in her heart. She kind of stores them up to think about later. But as we are just talking about the shepherds this morning, I want to look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. At the end of that book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace are profoundly changed. Uh, they've, been, they've been on this incredible adventure. They sail to the end of the world, and then in the final pages, as happens in basically every Narnian book, they are sent back into our world, into the regular world. They find themselves back in the upstairs room with the painting on the wall. But... They are changed by their time in Narnia, particularly Eustace. Eustace starts out the book as this snobby, selfish, mean boy, and he's transformed by his time in Narnia into this noble and good and brave young man. And that's a longer story that we don't have time for, how, how that change happened. It involves dragons. You know, you have to go read it for yourself. But they end up back in England, back in their old lives. But they're different. And if you look at this story, it's the same. The shepherds at the end of the story, they return. They go back to shepherding, back to the field, back to the sheep, back to the flock. But they aren't the same. They're full of praise and glory to God. They're amazed at what God has done. And if you read the Gospels, you read on in Luke, Matthew, Mark, John, all kinds of people encounter Jesus. And most of them are not famous. We don't know their names. They don't become part of the 12 disciples. They don't become part of the inner circle. Their names aren't even written down. They are sent by Jesus. Go back to your life and give glory and praise to God for what he's done for them. And I think it's a helpful reminder. For nearly all of us, God is just sending us back into our normal lives. You'll return home today, this week, to the family and friends you already had. <laughs> you go back to the job you were working before you walked in here this morning. The apartment you lived in yesterday, you'll go back to that. Outwardly, for most of us, very little changes. But of course, the coming of Christ is not really about changing our circumstances. It's about changing who we are as people. The shepherds still shepherded. But they did so full of praise and glory to God for what he has done. Tomorrow, Tuesday, you're going to be a parent. <laughs> you're, you're still going to be a son, still going to be a daughter, still going to be a friend. You have to go back to work or school, you know, sooner or later. The only question is, will you be the same or will you be different? For unto you a Savior has been born and he is Christ the Lord. And my prayer is that he would be born anew in your heart this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful and grateful for your word, for this recording of your birth, even as sparse and unassuming as it is, that you were born a savior for the world, Christ the Lord. 
Please make these truths new in our hearts this morning, whether this is the first time we are hearing them or for the hundredth time. Help us to believe them. Help us to live by them. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.